what do we think about as far as diet? I mean, the actual definition of diet is what you eat on a regular daily basis, right? But it's taken on a whole new meaning and it just represents deprivation and starvation. And it's a very punitive term, right? We just, it, it, it's like you're, you're, you're you have to go on a diet, but it, it, it's, it's not about restriction. And so, I, you know, it's an eating lifestyle is now the new word is what I call for diet. The information provided in this podcast is educational and not intended to diagnose or treat medical conditions. Are you struggling with bloating, gas, constipation, and fatigue, but don't know what's causing these problems? The Gut Health Reset Podcast with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter dives deep into the root causes behind these issues that start in the gut. This podcast will give you the knowledge you need to heal your gut and reset your health. Risa, it is so great to have you here today. Um, I'm really excited to get into diet. I mean, we, we just don't talk very much about diet. So, um, so how did you come to write your book, Food Frame? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, you know, I've been in practice for a long time as a functional nutritionist, decades, and I've watched people um, and how they eat and what works and what doesn't work. And a few years into it, I thought, hmm, this one diet type for all doesn't really work. It's not the right paradigm for us. So what I discovered was what my methodology, which I call food frame, is that every person should be eating according to their health status. So if your current health status is with uh, blood sugar dysregulation, you should be eating according to that to help heal that or quell that or reverse that. Um, If you have uh, chronic bloating or gastrointestinal symptoms, you have uh, chronic diarrhea or chronic constipation, it's probably best that you go on a low FODMAP um, eating lifestyle for 30 to 90 days. And then I sort of, in the book, I tell you what to do after that. But um, I just came to this major epiphany that we should all be eating just customized, uh, not just that one size fits all paradigm that we have tend to do. We, we get a new diet book or a new eating lifestyle with lots of science and it's great and it works for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for everybody. So you have to eat according to what your customized health status is. And I like how you've named the book, Food Frame. Diet is a four-letter word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that is just such, I laughed when I saw that. I thought that was really cute. Um, yeah. as we, we, what do we think about as far as diet? I mean, the actual definition of diet is what you eat on a regular daily basis, right? But it's taken on a whole new meaning and it just represents deprivation and starvation. And it's a very punitive term, right? We just, it, it, it's like you're, 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 you have to go on a diet. But it, it, it's, it's not about restriction. And so, I, you know, it's an eating lifestyle is now the new word is what I call for diet. Yeah. And I think I'd, I'd like to hear you clear up because I think there's so much confusion around diet. And I'll put that in quotation marks. So there's so much confusion on what diet to eat. You know, there's this diet, this person's trying this other new diet. And so you talk about there are six of the more popular mainstream diets. So we have paleo, keto, autoimmune paleo or autoimmune protocol, AIP, vegan, low FODMAP, low leptin. Uh, so why would someone, what, what would be a good reason for us to eat within these diet categories? 
So what I found through years and years of working with people and individuals with different types of health statuses is that um, we, we basically every, these are six main eating lifestyles that most people thrive on. There's tons of other ones and I can name several other ones that are good. And it's not that they're not effective, but these are the major ones that you, everybody pretty much can pick one and thrive on. So that's why I highlighted those. Those are the ones I usually recommend to the people that I work with. Once I glean their stool test and their blood test, I have a roadmap of what exactly is going on with them. Then I can make a proper recommendation, or you can take the quiz on my website at Risa Grew Nutrition um, and find out what your food frame is. But I start off with my detox because it is imperatively important to uh, clean out the toxins from the system. We store them and liver gets congested and, and then the whole body doesn't work optimally. So I always believe in, in, in detoxing a few times a year. Uh, and then once you finish that detox, then you choose one of the six uh, diet types or eating lifestyles that is more customized for you. So, so for example, like who would need a low lectin diet? Yeah. So low lectin is great. Those are our anti-nutrients. And um, when we can, we have a, a, a eating lifestyle with lots of lectins, we tend to have a lot of inflammation. So I would recommend somebody who has been diagnosed with autoimmune disease or somebody who has a lot of family members with autoimmune disease. They may suspect they have autoimmune disease, but they don't really, they haven't been diagnosed yet. Once they complete the autoimmune protocol, the AIP program, then I would recommend that they follow a low lectin diet because a low lectin diet basically is very paleo-like. We're eating really good quality animal proteins, an abundance of vegetables, sweet potato yams, good fats, but we're also taking out nightshades, which are very high in lectins and they can cause a lot of inflammatory responses. So um, if you do, uh, if you get off AIP, cause it's an elimination diet, 30 to 90 days, I would recommend that you either hop on to the autoimmune or hop on to paleo or hop on to low lectin. Either one is going to continue to quell the inflammation. And what are other examples of lectins? Cause I don't think, you know, people really know. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll kind of go backwards a little bit. But all living organisms have the ability to defend themselves when we're in danger. So humans, we have the ability, if we, you know, a tiger's running after us, we have the ability to, to kick, scream, yell, uh, bite, flee a situation or call 911, right? Plants don't have that ability. So what they have is what, I, what are called anti-nutrients, and I call sort of a hard candy shell around a germ or a seed that protects them. Because at the end of the day, all living organisms, our goal is to survive and procreate. So a, a living organism like a plant is, has the same purposes, the same goals, but what they do is they have this protective coating so that if you try to destroy it, it's going to survive and so that it can uh, repopulate at some point after survival. Um, so what these, these anti-nutrients do, it's very hard to break down. Now, somebody with a very acidic environment in their gut is going to have probably not a lot of issues breaking them down. But somebody with a very compromised gut that doesn't have a lot of acidity in there is going to have a very difficult time. They're going to bloat. They're going to call in the gases, the methanobacteria, say methane, methane gas production is going to come in and help to try and break that food down. So um, in the meantime, not a, nightshades are very, very high in lectin. So tomatoes, all potatoes except for sweet potato and yams, um, peppers, all peppers except for black peppers and eggplant and goji berries. Those are really high, high uh, concentrate uh, nightshades. 
The other foods that you would find lectins in are grains and beans. Legumes are really, really high in lectins. That's why we know so many people who eat hummus or beans and they, oh, I can't eat that. My stomach just gets bloated and I have pain. Um, those are people who cannot really break down lectins. Uh, we also find lectins in skin and seeds. So like in the tomato, the lectins really are in the skin and the seeds of the tomato, not necessarily the, the meat of it. Same with egg, uh, with, uh, with squashes, same with cucumbers. Those are high, those, the skin and the seeds have a lot of lectins in them. Right. Thank you. And then, so you said, you know, after someone comes off of the strict, maybe AIP diet, they're going to do paleo or they're going to do a low lectin diet. Um, and I think you've explained paleo pretty well. So some of the other diets you talked about, and you've mentioned a couple of times, you've mentioned low FODMAP twice. Mm -hmm. Um, so what is low FODMAP and, and why would somebody want to be on low FODMAP? Yeah, so FODMAP is an acronym and it stands for fermented oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. And in English, what that means are these are sort of fermented carbohydrates that tend to absorb water. So these are foods that are onions and garlic, um, cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, um, and cabbage. Those are very high in FODMAP. So they have a certain type of carbohydrate that, you know, your listeners know, oh yeah, that's it. When I eat onions, I mean, that just destroys me, right? I just have all this gas and bloating and they just can't break it down. So when we talk about a low FODMAP, those are foods that we concentrate eating on that, that have low FODMAP. So low um, carbohydrate, fermentable carbohydrates and, and polyols, which are type of carbohydrates. So the, this low FODMAP uh, diet type is perfect for somebody who's been diagnosed with SIBO, that's small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. That's when a bacteria parks itself in the small intestines rather than the large intestines. And we tend to bloat. You have chronic bloating. It's highly, highly likely you have SIBO. We usually see high, uh, chronic bloating with either chronic constipation or chronic diarrhea. And of course, I test for that in a stool test to determine if we do in fact have SIBO. Um, and it's also low FODMAP is perfect for somebody who has been diagnosed with IBS or irritable bowel syndrome or IBD, irritable bowel disease, which basically means that there is just a lot of inflammation in the intestinal lining and you're going to get immediate relief from following a low FODMAP diet. Low FODMAP is very... Um, difficult. It's not easy. And it's really more about portions than it is about anything else. So you might be able to have one asparagus the first week and then three the next week. You might not be able to tolerate any avocado at all. Some people do. So it's very individual in a, in a, in a subset of foods that are recommended, but everybody's a little bit different. Quantity really is a big factor there. The stricter you are at the beginning, the better off you'll be in the end. And it is not a long-term uh, diet. It is meant to be an elimination diet. So we're trying to starve that bacteria that's in the small intestines or quell that inflammation. So we are um, recommended to 30 to 90 days on a low FODMAP diet. If you have reoccurring symptoms, you can hop back on it at any time. Yep. And um, so I think what is counterintuitive with the FODMAP diet is because the foods are pretty healthy. So can uh, you gave a few examples of some of the foods? So, you know, broccoli, onions, garlic, 
know, all the cruciferous vegetables, um, asparagus, avocado. Are there any others that really surprise people that they're eating a lot of on the low FODMAP diet? And like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is where everybody's a little bit different in their sensitivity, but onions and garlic are pretty much hands down. Everybody gets destroyed from those. So we don't even think about it when we go to restaurants, you know, we might, we might stay away from the cruciferous vegetables, but we don't even think about the onion, and the garlic. So that's a really easy one that almost everybody across the board responds to. Um, there are other foods, certain nuts people will respond to, but for the most part, everybody responds to garlic and onions. Um, some people, I mean, again, eggs are a little bit different and uh, avocado are a little bit different. Most people have a little bit of an issue with avocado, but quantity is a factor. They can have a quarter, but a half just kills them. So um, those are a little bit more dependent on quantity. Amazing. And when somebody actually does this diet for, let's say, you know, 30 to 60 days, um, the methanogens are gone or the hydrogen bacteria are actually gone after your retest. Exactly. Um, we, we do find that a lot. Now, I if somebody has, if I find SIBO with somebody that I'm working with, I'm putting them on a supplement uh, regimen as yeah. well as a diet type because we're trying to starve that bacteria, but we also have to kill it. So we do, I'm pretty aggressive with, not aggressive, but I'm, I, I'm, you know, I don't want to dilly dally and just see if it'll go away in 60 days. Let's get to it. Let's give it some, um, some natural killing agents and, uh, starve it with, with nutrition and then they're good to go. Yep. That's what we do too. We kill it, we kill it out. Uh, so some other ones, uh, that you mentioned keto, I think that this one is, um, there's, there's some, Definitely some people get great results from keto and other people get some not so great results from keto. So let's talk about maybe keto, what it is and what you've seen with that. So getting into the state of ketosis is um, basically when you're changing your fuel source from carbohydrates and sugar, which is what we all pretty much uh, do on a day-to-day basis. That's what feeds the nu- the cell and the mitochondria in the cell that creates ATP, which is energy, right? So that's our energy factories. And um, so, and any excess, you know, glycogen or, or, or carbohydrates or sugar that we have, we store as fat. So what we try to do, what, what, what happens in ketosis is we convert our fuel source from carbohydrates or sugar to fat. And it's, it, it, it's got a tons of benefits. It helps with blood sugar uh, regulation. It helps with some inflammation and, and contrary to what we might believe it helps with cardiovascular. Um, but it's not for everybody. So a couple of re- a couple of hurdles that I've got with, um, ketosis is one. Um, if you don't have a gallbladder, you are probably not best suited for keto because we don't have that storage unit for our bile and our bile tends to get sticky and coagulated and um, sludgy. So it's hard for us to metabolize our fats. I do a stool test. I find out what your steatocrit is, meaning your fat malabsorption. If you have a high steatocrit, I am not recommending keto for you as well. If you don't have a lot of uh, pancreatic enzymes to break down and um, you, you break down that fat, this is not going to be a good situation for you. Um, so that's the first person I would rule out. Keto tends to be better for men than it does for women. And I don't hundred percent, right. Do you, you notice that too? That's, I've seen women gain weight on it left and right, but men, it's like, there's 20 pounds lost. It's kind of incredible. It really is interesting. 
And, you know, you have to even get into the state of ketosis. I mean, I've tried keto years ago and I did a urine test every morning. I couldn't even get into the state of ketosis. So not everybody can. Um, And women who have a lot of cortisol issues, a lot of stress, it tends to be a little bit difficult for them to be successful on ketosis. So um, and it's difficult. It is a very difficult plan to follow. There's all these you know, processed convenient foods and whole foods and all the natural grocers now that, but if you look at them, I looked at one yesterday, somebody brought into my office and I thought I would never eat this. This is just tons of inflammatory um, milks and whey and, and processed crap that, you know, just doesn't have a lot of carbohydrates, but it's going to give you some inflammation. Um, and the other thing that I have a hard time with keto about is uh, it's very hard to get fiber in because you're getting less you have to stay less than 20 net carbs per day and your carbohydrate source is your vegetables and your, your plants. And it's very difficult to get enough fiber in. So we do see a lot of bowel issues with people who stay on keto. I personally don't recommend keto for longer than a three month stretch. I say, if you're good with keto and it works for you, great, do it for three months and then take a break for a month or a couple of weeks and then, and then get back in there. But Um, There's a lot of science that shows that it's good for cardiovascular. I think the main benefit to keto is sugar stabilization. So if people are diabetic or pre-diabetic, insulin resistant, try it for three months, see what happens with your blood work, but get your blood work taken before and after so you can see. Hey, this is Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Have you ever spent hours searching for the right supplements to heal your body? And when you finally found them, Maybe you weren't sure it was a brand that you could trust or if the products were safe. After hearing about these issues time and time again, I decided to put together a complete store of supplements for healing and supporting your gut at dranmariebarter.com. There are supplements for constipation, thyroid health, gut health, energy, and so much more. There are bundles created for sleep support, pain support, histamine support, and the list just goes on and on. These supplements I use personally, or I've handpicked because they've worked time and time again on countless cases in the office. And on the website, you can see what ingredients we use to put your mind at ease. If you visit dranmariebarter.com and use the promo code podcast to get 10% off your next order. So what are you waiting for? Go visit Dr. Anne-Marie Barter and get 10% off your supplement bundle. Ciao. And now back to our episode. Great. Yeah. I actually, to get into keto myself, I had to fast for three days, water fast for three days before I was actually hitting the the keto numbers um, to be in ketosis. So I I think it was two to three days and I, it was hard to stay there without exogenous ketones. Yeah. So I had to take exogenous ketones in order to stay there. And and I just couldn't, um, with the hormone fluctuations just didn't work for me um, personally, but you know, to each their own, own, right. But I run a higher stress line. Right. You you gotta go customized, right? Right. Totally. So I love that you talk about customization of diet because I see that as well. There's just no one size fits all approach. So I love that. Let's go to vegan. <laughs> so I think everybody knows mostly what that, well, I don't know. You can go ahead and explain what it is yeah. and maybe who would benefit from this diet. So there's so many different 
types of vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. Vegan is extreme, so you're not eating any animal products at all. So that includes dairy, eggs, um, and honey, things like that. But there are so many different types of vegetarianism. I go through it in great detail in my book. So it depends what type you are. But basically, you're um, not eating any animal protein at all, except if you're a vegetarian, you might eat dairy and you might eat eggs. So there's a lot of people who do that. Um, and and so there's different types within those sects of what type of vegetarian, because you can be vegan and be completely surviving on Diet Coke and Oreos and um, French fries and pasta, and you're good to go, right? But that to me is not the type of vegetarian I'm referring to in the book. Um, becoming a vegetarian can be very much um, known as be, being a carbitarian, right? So you're just living on bread and pasta and, and Oreos and French fries. That is not what I'm talking about in my book. Um, but people who eat plants are really what I'm talking about and, 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 and in the entire spectrum of those people who eat plants whether you're eating cheese or eggs or not. So um, being, I, I am a big proponent of eating foods from the earth. I really believe that we should be eating according to what our bodies were meant to process and how we get nourished. And so plants are part of that. No matter what diet type you do, we, we're here. We, we have things sprouting from the ground and crawling on the grass. And, and so this is what we are born to eat. So if you don't want to, to eat animal protein, I get that, whether it's an ethical or religious or a um, whatever it is that you are, um, your belief is, I get that. So when you take shut off that source of animal protein, you need to replace that protein with plants. So where do we get them? Beans, nuts, seeds, and grains. So all of those things tend to have carbohydrates. So I personally am a former vegan myself. And when I was vegan, I was, in, you know, not eating pasta and breads. I was eating vegetables and grains and beans. And I watched my blood sugar go up and up and up and up to the point where I was almost pre-diabetic. And I thought, what? I don't even eat sugar. So I was getting so many carbs from all the, the lentils and the garbanzo beans and the black beans and the quinoa that I was eating. I wasn't even eating like tons of rice or anything like that. But it was, um, it really drove my blood sugars up for me. So I'm not a huge fan of the vegetarian or vegan, um, especially if we have a gene mutation called MTHFR, which is very common. Um, we need those B vitamins and we get the folate through our green leafies, but really hard to duplicate that B12. We can only get it in a um, nutritional yeast that's uh, non uh, animal protein source. And I, I don't know about you, but I just wouldn't want to eat a lot of nutritional yeast as, as much as I would need for that B12. So supplementation would be a big factor for me there or anybody who's on a vegetarian or vegan diet. Um, you need to supplement with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, what about, you know, and we've touched on autoimmune paleo or protocol and paleo just to touch. Do you want to go into paleo before we kind of leave the diet conversation? Sure. Sure. So um, paleo is basically eating like our ancestors did, right? They call it the caveman diet. And basically it's the philosophy that we're eating foods that were on this planet when humans were around, right? When we first started. And so we're eating quality. It really focuses on quality because so much of our animal protein is filled with antibiotics and growth hormones and 
Um, they're eating grain instead of grass. And um, so it's quality animal protein. And then it is uh, an abundance of vegetables and um, any way you want them, but deep fried and good quality, not, you know, not filled with herbicides, pesticides and, and GMOs and, and glyphosate. Um, we're talking about organic uh, vegetables with enriched soil as much as possible. And then sweet potato and yams and then good fats, eggs, nuts, seeds, avocado um, and uh, and uh, olives and good oils, not inflammatory. And the whole point of that is to quell the inflammation and increase the good gut health. And in my opinion, uh, it is the most uh, broadest appeal diet type for uh, people that I work with and for everybody, because I think it achieves the, 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 the goal for decreasing systemic inflammation, increasing good gut health, which I think at the end of the day, those are the foundational issues for health. And, um, and it's easy. You can travel with it. You can usually find um, those foods everywhere you go. And it's, it's delicious. It's easy. And your body loves it. So I think paleo is really good. Now, again, we can go to the market and buy the paleo granola and paleo this and paleo cookies and all these things. And, you know, yes, you can eat almond flour and coconut flour and have paleo cookies. I have them on my website, recipes, tons of them. But the, 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 we're not supposed to be sustaining ourselves, right? Those are what I call food for sport. So we should be eating more food for survival and a little bit of food for sport. Perfect. And if someone has a gut issue, do you generally start with AIP and then go to FODMAP? If, depending on what the, what the, if it's a SIBO gut issue, um, while you're waiting for the testing to come back, you start with AIP, move to FODMAP. Um, are there any other, um, I'm assuming that's correct. Is that correct? So not necessarily. So if they, um, if they walk into my office, they already know they have an autoimmune disease, then I'm going to start them on my detox and I'm going to put them on AIP for 30 to 90 days after that. And then at that point, either jump to paleo or jump to low lectin. Um, if they, so if they have autoimmune in the family, they suspect they might have it. They don't show the antibodies yet. It's going to behoove them to do an AIP protocol for 30 to 90 days as well. Um, for somebody who walks in, they've got a lot of gut issues. I'm going to put them on my detox. We're eating basically paleo on my detox. We're having lots of collagen, that collagen, those amino acids in the collagen are, are what I call grout for leaky gut. So we're going to help to, to heal the gut and decrease the systemic inflammation. And so many, I mean, I would say 98% of the people I put on my detox show less symptoms, if not all symptoms gone um, by the time they finish the detox. But in during that two weeks on the detox, I'm gleaning information through an extensive blood test and an extensive stool test. And once I get the stool test back, then I'm going to um, really get aggressive with, a pro with, with addressing the, the gut issues, because that will tell me if they have a leaky gut, it'll tell me if they have SIBO. H. pylori is a big one. So I'll really know where we are. I'll know what their fat malabsorption is, what their pancreatic enzyme production is, how much inflammation they have in the intestinal lining. Is there any blood, microscopic blood in their stool? Is this something a little bit more serious? So that I, I like to, to, you know, I always say I'm not really good at playing darts in the dark with the lights off. I can't really see the target and I'm going to guess and we're all going to get frustrated. So I like to have the information and then I, um, I start playing darts once I can see the target. And what are the most common drivers of disease that you've seen? Hands down systemic inflammation. Um, that is the driver of disease. And why do we have systemic inflammation? Dysregulated blood sugars, 
mold, toxicities, uh, uh, a buildup of toxins, um, uh, a, a decrease in the gut. So we, if we have a decrease of immune in the gut, you know, where we have 70% of our immune system is produced in our gut, you know, if we don't have an army in there, nobody's helping us, right? If we are under chronic stress, if we have chronic sleep issues, if we have hormonal imbalance, if we have thyroid imbalance, blood sugar imbalance, all these things are going to take you out of a homeostasis state and it's going to cause some stress somewhere. You've got maybe perhaps a lot of oxidative stress and, you know, that's, that's going to look for a place to, where can we create disease, right? If you're inflamed, you've got some oxidative stress, you know, good luck to you. You're, you're in the ring with Muhammad Ali. I would suggest you have two gloves on because you're, you're, you're in battle. Once you get into the immune state, when you're in autoimmunity, your TH17 and your T-reg cells start to activate and you have now what's we called a cytokine storm. Your NF-cap B is in production. You are in the state of chronic inflammation. So I'm going to immediately try to stop the, 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 the inflammation from going round and round and heal your gut, your intestinal lining. I'm going to put a fire hose um, on that, that flame, that huge fire we've got going in the basement, you know, where some people, I, I had a, a new client yesterday who is just riddled with rheumatoid arthritis. And I said, what are you doing? She goes, well, I take one omega a day, uh, fish oil. And I go, wow, that's like taking a water gun on a huge forest fire and seeing if it'll put it out. Right. So we need to attack that inflammation um, with food and supplements so that we can quell that inflammation. So that's the driver of disease. We just continue to drive disease. You know, third stage inflammation gets into the respiratory tract and, you know, here we go. Amazing. Um, and then what are your go-to supplements for optimal health? Yeah, my hands down, number one, will not never stop taking the rest of my life is vitamin D with K. I have a D3 ultra that really moves the needle. That is, we have a D receptor site in every cell in the body, immunity, anti-cancer, anti anti-aging. We will not make bone without vitamin D. I can go on and on and on. Thyroid, gut, brain, you name it. Um, and vitamin B, my B ultra is in a methylcobalamin form and it's a, a complex B vitamin. And then um, any autoimmune people, my autoimmune fab five or vitamin D, my omega max, that is your fish oils, major anti-inflammatory. Um, glutathione is our master antioxidant. We need our master antioxidant to help us with oxidative stress. Um, resveratrol is really, really important anti-inflammatory as well. And um, turmeric, turmeric is huge. So I take all of those every day. Um, and then of course I take a digestive enzyme that is a must for anybody really 40, 45 or older. We, as we age, we produce and excrete less and less. So I have a, uh, my enzyme max has all the pancreatic enzymes, all the hydrochloric acid and ox bile for fat malabsorption. So I do not leave home without my enzyme max. Um, and a probiotic from time to time is really, really helpful for rebuilding the gut. Awesome. And where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? So on my website is Risa Grew Nutrition. It's R-I-S-A-G-R-O-U-X Nutrition. Um, I'm on TikTok now. I'm on um, Instagram, Facebook. Um, my book Food Frame is available online on my website or on Amazon or on um, Barnes & Noble and Target. Um, and then I just released a thyroid course. I am super proud of it. I put everything I know about thyroid and my journey in Hashimoto's and just about uh, reversing it. 
and um, it's called Achieving Optimal Thyroid Health. So it's really, really, really great for anyone who has thyroid issues or suspects they do. Um, and whether you've got Hashis or you've got Graves or you've got a thyroidectomy or thyroid nodules, it is great for you. And it really, soup to nuts tells you everything you need to know. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much to all the listeners. Please say hello and let us know what you want to hear more of. We look forward to hearing from you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Gut Health Reset Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review so more people can hear about the podcast. And hey, take a screenshot of this episode and tag Dr. Anne-Marie on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. And for more resources, just visit DrAnneMarieBarter.com.